Welcome to Better Questions Podcast. My name is Matt. I'm grateful you are tuning in this week. Our question today comes from Samuel from Texas. And the question is, when we hear the gospel described as good news in the Bible or otherwise, what exactly does that mean? Right. A excellent question. Uh, One that I have done a lot of thought, given a lot of thought to the gospel, we throw that word around a lot. And actually, I find that when we use words like that, and we, we use them often, and um, sometimes words can lose their meaning. And so, you know, gospel in some ways has been hijacked, I think, in, in evangelicalism in a few different ways. And in some ways, people will say things like everything needs to be gospel-centered, everything Uh, We want to be gospel-saturated. We want the gospel to be gospel people. And I I oftentimes am a little bit um, nervous that we we sometimes lose the meaning of the word. What does it mean when we say gospel and we throw it around like that? You know, simply put, in the question, good news. It's an an royal announcement is what gospel is. Um, And so... What I want to do to answer this question is sort of look a little bit deeper. And so we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into when Paul uses the word gospel. Because I think I think Paul's definition might actually be a little bit different than what we do when we think about the word gospel. So let's do a little bit of a deep dive. So here we go. We're going to start uh, I'm pressing in here to the book of Philippians where he talks about gospel quite a bit. Um, And let's think back to the Roman Empire, okay? This will help make sense of what we mean by the word gospel. Um, The Roman Empire ruled the world, okay? So it was all the way from England to India. I mean, this is this global military superpower of the day. And if the mantra of Rome was Pax Romana, which was Roman peace, but it was peace through victory, or maybe put another way, peace accomplished at the edge of the sword. So there was a a violence that was needed in order to achieve that peace. Now, to the people of Rome, this was gospel. Here's what I mean. It it was good news. There was peace. Because of the bloodshed that took place, people could live without fear of being invaded by an enemy. And so there was the sense that, yes, this was good news as long as you were on the right end of the sword. Now, when we think of empire, um, we think of it as violent and oppressive, and, and it was certainly, but you have to remember that for tens of millions of people who were living inside the empire, it was the best thing that ever happened to the world. And so the empire would bring in like imperial propaganda um, it, that brought salvation, it brought unity, it brought an end to the rampant wars all over the Mediterranean, it brought Roman justice and law and order and infrastructure and roads and made travel safe and commerce. There was an influx of money. I mean, to the people living in the Roman Empire in Paul's day, empire was heaven on earth. And secondly, Caesar. The empire uh, was ruled by a long line of Caesars, and in the beginning, uh, Caesar was a king, but not much more. By by about 61 or 62 AD, by the time Philippians uh, was written, Caesar was a god in the eyes of the Romans. Um, And if you think back, so think back to the first um, Caesar, Julius. So the first Caesar, 
Julius was assassinated, and his adopted nephew, Octavian, was next in line for the throne. Now, again, we're getting real frogging in the weeds here, so stay with me, because this is going to help paint the picture uh, for understanding gospel. So, Octavian, next in line for the throne. On the one-year anniversary of Julius' death, at the Olympic Games in Rome, in Julius' honor, a comet shows up in the sky, and Octavian says the comet is a sign from the gods that Julius is divine and is ascending to the right hand of Zeus. Okay, now think about that for a second. This works out really well, because if your dad is God, well, what does that make you the son of? The son of God, right? Okay, now think about that. There's a coin uh, from right around that time um, that in the center had an image of Caesar and it says Caesar on the left um, and it says DVF, which is an abbreviation for DV Filios, which is Latin for the son of the divine son or son of the, uh, the son of God, which is one of Caesar's favorite names for himself, right? To call himself the son of God. So Caesar Nero, who we think was on the throne at the time when Paul was writing the book of Philippians, um, his favorite name for himself was Lord and Savior. Okay, and so if you've seen the picture that's being painted here, one of the central propaganda statements of the empire is that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved other than Caesar. But the central propaganda statement, the one everybody knows around the empire, Greeks and Latins and Jews, and everybody knows the one Caesar is Kyrios, which means Caesar is Lord. Now, does any of that language sound familiar? Son of God, no man can be saved other than Caesar, right? Caesar is Lord, okay? That's all backdrop, that's empire colony gospel. And the word gospel actually comes from the Greek word euangelion. Okay, and that gets translated to, to gospel or good news. It's where we get the word evangelical, in fact. But long before it was a Christian word used by Jesus or Paul or Billy Graham, right? It was a Roman word used by Caesar. And so whenever a new Caesar would come into power, he would send out messengers all over the empire. Okay, and there's, this is a world with no Twitter, there's no websites, no Fox News or CNN to send out messages all over to Philippi and Corinth and Jerusalem, Macedonia, etc. And so what would happen is, is when this news spread that there was a new Caesar, you would stand up in the city square and the messengers would stand up in the center of the city and preach the gospel, preach the euangelion, the good news that Caesar Nero is Lord or Octavian is Lord or Tiberius is Lord. And, it was good news to the people. There was a new king. And because there was a new Caesar, there, there was a new leader, this meant, oh, good news, there's going to be continued peace. It was cause for a celebration. And so everyone would come under Nero's rule and reign authority, and that is good news. Now, what we need to understand when we talk about the word gospel is that it was... Um, Long before it was used by Paul, it was something that was understood in that culture. It was already a word in circulation. It was this royal announcement about a king coming into power. Okay? And so when you think about that, when you think about, in my example here, we're talking about the, the church in Philippi. Um, you think about 
that you have this culture who, um, this culture that viewed the gospel as good news, that there would be a new king. So imagine how provocative the word gospel is when Paul uses it. Right, because the people of Rome are, are to live as citizens, so to speak, of Gospel of Nero or Tiberius or Octavian. But if you go to the book of Philippians in, in verse 7, 27, Paul says to live as citizens of the gospel of the king. And that king is not referring to Nero. So what, what, is, what is Paul up to? You see, Paul is calling the Philippians to an alternative empire. He's saying, listen, the empire of Rome, that's the parody The kingdom of God is the reality. It's not Pax Romana. It's not peace by the edge of the sword. It's grace and peace to you from God, our Father, Christ Jesus, the true King. So what what Paul's doing is he's calling the Philippians to an alternative Lord. He flat out says Jesus is Lord in Philippians chapter 2, which by the way, that (laughs) insinuates that Caesar is a pretender. I think of Acts 17, read for Paul's in Philippi. He goes to Thessalonica for the gospel, gets arrested, brought in front of the city officials and read the charge. And Paul and his company are all defying Caesar's decree, saying there's no what, there's another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. You see, the gospel, the royal announcement was an alternative perspective that threw things into chaos, that there was another king, Jesus. There's another Lord, Jesus. There's another savior, Jesus. And so it's funny, I mean, how subversive and dangerous and radical and anti-imperial languages turned into cliches in Christianity over the years. I mean, I hear um, so many uh, statements and say, we love, we love the Lord, Jesus, Lord, Jesus, my Savior. And, and all that is true. Um, but to be honest, it, it kind of sounds a little churchy, right? And when you take a step back, you know, what if I stood up and said, I pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God and Jesus is my president and my commander in chief. That'd, that'd be really weird. Um, <laughs> but it's essentially what is, is um, you know, happening. And again, um, an American analogy isn't the best one. So like, what if it was Syria or of a citizen of North Korea? I mean, that changes your perspective to pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God, that Jesus is the true king above any nationalism, above any Caesar or earthly king. Paul's being really subversive here. Um, and the problem, in my opinion, is I think most people in the church today, including myself, um, we, we get confused about what we mean by gospel. Because I don't think it's what Paul means by gospel. I think it's closer, actually. Our, our, when we talk about gospel, it's closer to what Paul means by salvation. The word soteria in, in, in the Greek. And uh, here's what I mean. Um, there are a few different people. Scott McKnight has a wonderful book called The King Jesus Gospel. I highly recommend. He speaks to this. Uh, Gary Bashir, the head of theology at Western, uh, also brilliant dude. He calls it the standard gospel. Okay, meaning the one you hear all the time. Um, Jesus Christ died on a cross to forgive your sins. Uh, he, you live the sin, He lives the sinless life that you never could. 
And if you believe by grace through faith, not by self-effort, not by works, not by religion, but by faith in Christ alone, you will go to heaven when you die. You'll have eternal life and you'll be forgiven. Now, to clarify, I believe all of that. Every last word. But I don't think that's what Paul means when he says gospel, especially in this instance that I'm bringing up. And so, again, sparks the question, what is the gospel? Um, yes, the gospel is that God sent his only son Jesus to live a perfect life that we couldn't, to die for our sins so that we might, uh, he would stand in our place and the wrath of God was poured out unto him and we are justified by faith, not by works. Yes and amen, hallelujah, Jesus rose from the grave, all that, yes. But specifically, the gospel, when Paul's talking about it, is a royal announcement that Jesus is Lord. That the crucified Messiah is now the risen king of the universe. That is good news. And that's why Paul's in prison, by the way. Okay, and that's why he's an enemy of the state. He's in prison about to stand trial in front of Caesar. Why? Because Paul said Jesus is Lord. In Paul's world, if you were to stand up and preach the standard gospel, okay, in 61 AD Philippi or Rome for that matter, and say, um, right in front of Caesar, you say, listen, Caesar, Jesus died on the cross to free of your sins. And if you believe by grace through faith, you can go to heaven when you die. I, I, look, I don't think anyone would have a problem with that. You wouldn't be thrown in prison because that wasn't the issue in Paul's world. As long as you don't mess with empire, as long as you don't screw around uh, with the here and now, as long as you don't mess with the fact that one third of the empire is in slavery, as long as you don't mess with that and you say, acknowledge that Caesar is Lord, Caesar's in charge, right? Then we're good. And look, again, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to downplay the beauty of justification by grace through faith. Don't miss my point here. My point is that that's not why Paul's in prison. Um... But if you were to stand in front of Caesar or in front of any official and say, uh, like, like Paul does in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under earth, that every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ to the Lord, to the glory, like, that is treason. That, is, that gets you thrown in prison and probably killed. And so when Paul is talking about gospel, this is what he is talking about, a royal announcement. Now, when we talk about good news, um, you know, that's the beauty of, of having these kind of conversations is sort of looking at the nuance of a word. Uh, because when I say I'm going to share the gospel with someone, I absolutely will share the standard gospel. I'll, I'm okay with taking them through Romans Road or, or sharing about our need for a savior and even, even just talking about, you know, the reality of eternal life and what that means and all of that. But what I find resonating with people, uh, especially my age and younger, is I find them less concerned about what happens after. So I grew up in a time where uh, gospel was often used in ways to scare people out of hell. Like, like I remember attending a, a, a play called Hell's Flames and Heaven's Glory or something like that, where it would have people literally come on the stage and then, you know, get in a car accident. And then you wouldn't know whether or not they were going to heaven or hell. And some people 
Um, the angels would come out, the hallelujah chorus, and they'd usher them into heaven. And you'd be happy that they had, you know, accepted Jesus into their heart or whatever language was used. And then the next scene, um, someone would trip and fall and break their head on the, the sidewalk, and then an owl would, you know, kill them or something weird. And then you start to see this fog come from the ground, the smoke appear, and then these demons would come out, and the devil would come out with his pitchfork, and they would usher them into hell. And it was horrifying as a as a sixth grader, but. Um, you know, that was a, a tactic, and some people still use the, those tactics today to try to get people to come to faith. And what, what, here's the thing that I'm, I'm seeing more and more and more. The people aren't asking as many questions about what happens next. I find that they're far more interested in what it means to live in the present. What does the gospel mean now? What does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of heaven? What does it mean to participate in that? What are the implications of the question that the gospel is a royal announcement that Jesus is king? In our culture, where we don't really have kings and queens, even in the UK, it's not really the same as it was. I know there are certain cultures that do have that, but you know, we we have a president um, who you know you probably either love him or hate him, depending on what side of the aisle you're on. But um, it's very different. But people absolutely have Caesars in their life. They have things that take ultimate priority. They have idols that take the place of what, what we choose to worship and the way we live our life totally reflects that. And so the gospel still speaks into, in so many facets, who is truly sitting on the throne of our lives. And the good news is this, that Jesus Christ has conquered the grave and is sitting on the throne and is the true king. And so the question I pose is, who is sitting on your throne? Because there is someone sitting on a throne. The question is whether or not you will pledge your allegiance to the true king or to the kings of this world. That said, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Sam, for sending in that question. It's a great question. Um, I've got some exciting news. I've got some guests coming on next week, so look forward to that. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this episode as we talk about gospel. I look forward to continuing receiving questions. Again, send your questions in to betterquestions at eastminster.org, or you can go to our website, eastminster.org slash betterquestions. And I would love to continue to have these dialogues and seek to ask better questions. Grace and peace to you.